Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our Sunday School Hour at Calvary Baptist Church of Treehern. Take your hymn books and turn to number 391. 391, A Flag to Follow. A lot of people in our world are looking for something or somebody to follow. They're looking for a cause. The Freedom Convoy attracted attention of certain people. And uh, there's still people talking about that today. And uh, other things, people are following certain things. And we need something real to follow. And that's what this song talks about. I sought a flag to follow. A cause for which to stand. I sought a valiant leader who could my love command. I sought a stirring challenge, some noble work to try to give my life fulfillment. My dreams to satisfy. I found them all in Jesus. The life, the truth, the way. Beneath the flag I'll take my stand. And follow him today. I sought a ringing answer for all my doubts inside. A torch of truth uplifted my searching steps to guide. I sought a word of wisdom a true authority I sought to know life's purpose to solve its mystery I found them all in Jesus the life the truth the way beneath his flag I'll take my stand and follow him today. <coughs> I sought for satisfaction for yearnings deep within. I sought for full deliverance from chains of guilt and sin. I sought for peace and pardon, for freedom from my fears. I sought a hope to cling to beyond this passing years. I found them all in Jesus the life, the truth, the way. Beneath his flag I'll take my stand and follow him today. I'll follow him today. 
Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have a God who has made man with a curiosity, that we are looking for purpose in life. We're looking for something, but without thy help and without thy direction, we would never come to see that thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only hope of man. We would never understand the importance of thy salvation. But we're thankful that we have a merciful God who not only built us, made us with a curiosity, but also is willing to direct us and is directing every individual through thy Holy Spirit and seeking, each, seeking to help each one to turn to thee, the only true hope of mankind. And we pray that we would be a help to people in showing them the importance of truth. We pray for this community that we could see people coming, coming to know the truth and desiring thy forgiveness and blessing. We do pray for the many visitors that we've had over the time that they would come again and they would see the importance of truth and want to know thee as their God and Savior. We pray for our country, for the need of our Prime Minister, that he would be saved before it's eternally too late, as well as the opposition parties and the many would be saved for many doctors and nurses and police officers, many of them trained in wickedness and rejecting the truth, that many would be saved before it's too late. We look forward to the soon return of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he is coming back, and we look forward to that soon return. We pray for the situation in Ukraine and pray for Mr. Zelensky, that he would repent and be saved, as he is a Jew and and needs to get into thy word and see that what he is doing is wrong, that he might desire thy forgiveness and blessing. We do pray for the Christians in that part of the world, that they would be true and faithful to thee, help others to be saved. We pray for the civilians that are left in Bakhmut, as it is under heavy attack right now. We pray for those civilians that many of them would get saved instead of uh, killed and going to hell. We pray, Father, for thy will to be done in Israel, that Mr. Netanyahu would get saved, as well as many others in that country. And we pray also for the United States, for Mr. Biden and others there, that they need to be saved as well, and for the preparations that are being made for the election in 2024. And as Mr. Trump wants to run again, we pray that he would get saved as he is very full of himself, needs to repent and know thy forgiveness and blessing. We thank thee, Father, that as the songwriter talks about, our hope is not in man. Any man that we are going to put our hope in is going to let us down. But we're thankful that we can put our hope in thee and we can have a God who will direct us and never fails, is always right and always on time. So may thy will be accomplished as we spend this time together here this morning. Pray for our live streaming and for our sermon audio that it would be effective and helpful to many people. And we pray that we would glorify thee in all that is said and done here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. I A living sacrifice. Romans twelve, verse one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present 
your body is a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Verse 2 for next time. Well, good morning. What are you going to tell me? John 3, verse 16. 16. There you go. Yeah, what is that? Eh? It's different. You're welcome. You're welcome. We have been studying the life of King Solomon. We were looking at King David, and King Solomon um, was the son of King David and Bathsheba. And uh, <clears throat> um, he started off well. He built the temple, built the house for himself, but he failed in that he chose foreign wives as his wives and uh, they turned his heart away from God and that was a problem for him and a problem for the nation <clears throat> and uh, it is important leadership is important um, leadership makes all the difference in regard to what how a nation goes and uh, that's important for us to understand it's leadership in the home. God designed the home before he designed uh, 
government for a nation because there are only two people that God created. So the first institution that God created was a family. And then from there, uh, he designed government in regard to how to manage the different families in a way that would honor and glorify God. The Bible never ever points to democracy as the way to govern a, a people, not in a home, not in a church, not in a country. And uh, democracy is a failure, has been everywhere it's been tried, and it is proven to be that in Canada and the United States. Right now in the United States, if you're paying attention to the news, even the liberal news will tell you that there is the the talk is already out there as to who's going to run for president in 2024. Uh, Mr. Biden has been questioned many times as to whether he's going to run again, and he has not given a clear answer on that. Of course, if he runs, it won't be him running. It'll be some puppet in his name. Um, and uh, there's a, a woman that has, I don't remember her name, that has stood up and said she's going to run for the Democratic nomination. On the Republican side, they had their speeches this week, and uh, trying to, the different people are trying to present themselves as worthy of being chosen as the nominee for the Republican side. Mr. Trump, of course, is running again, wants to be the nominee, and uh, so far, according to what the news is saying, he's the most popular of all of those that are running. But there's one person that is in the news a lot that we need to be aware of because she's very deceptive. Her name is Tulsi Gabbard. Um, she is a formerly a Democrat who ran for the nomination to be president, to run as president uh, on the Democrat side in the 2020 elections, and she didn't win that. But she's still very much in the news. She's no longer a Democrat, she says, because the Democrat Party isn't what she believes it used to be. The Democrat Party has always been the party of slavery. They are the ones that had the slaves. They were the ones that protected slavery. They wanted to keep slaves. It was the Republicans that fought to set the people free, the, the, the slaves free, not the Democrats. The Democrats are lying about that, but the history shows us the facts. But Tulsi Gabbard is a Hindu, and she talks about God in her speech at the CPAC, which is the, the um, meeting that the Republicans had just this week. She talked a lot about God, and she said in her speech several times that we are all children of God. That's a lie. A lot of people believe that, but it's a lie. Man is created by God, but we're not all children of God. Children have a father. Most people do not believe that God is their father. They do not submit to God as their father. And so she is very deceptive. She has some very interesting things to say. First of all, she's a woman, so therefore she does not belong in leadership. Um, that's God's design. That's not my thinking. That's God's design. And, uh, but the fact that she's a Hindu 
is also very deceptive. Now, <clears throat> Mitt Romney, who has run several times to be the president on the, Dem on the Republican side, he's a Mormon, also a, a, a false religion, and uh, he never made it very far. And uh, I don't know how far this Tulsi Gabbard is going to go with whatever she plans to do. But uh, it's important to be aware of what people say when people talk about God. It's important to think about a little bit about what are they, which God are they talking about. And most people, when they talk about God, it's someone of their own imagination. It's not the true God. It's not the God of the Bible. But it's God of their own imagination. And so, to me, whenever someone says, I believe in God, I want to know, well, what does that mean to you? I'm not going to right away put my hand out and shake his hand and say, well, good. Good to know that you're a believer. Yeah, believer in what? And so that's important for us to understand that <clears throat> and to be careful in how quick we are to... The Bible says to lay hands suddenly on no man. And when we stretch out our hand to shake someone's hand, we are giving them some sense of acceptance, especially when it comes to religious things. If they start talking religious things and we right away say, hey, brother, good to, to hear what you're saying. Be careful when you talk that way. Don't be too quick to do that because you need to be sure the person you're talking with actually knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So in chapter 10, we noted, 1 Kings chapter 10, we noted that the Queen of Sheba traveled to Israel because she had heard about what was going on there. Remember that Jerusalem was the hub of trading in Bible times. Most of the trade in the Middle East went through Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place people would travel through Jerusalem and then go to their different countries. And so as they did that, they had to pay tax for the use of the robes. And they had to pay custom on the things that they were moving through that area. And so Israel became very wealthy and Jerusalem became very wealthy because of that situation. But because everything traveled through Jerusalem as people went to their own homelands they talked about what they saw in Jerusalem and that's how the Queen of Sheba heard about what was going on there they didn't have the internet they didn't even have newspapers like we have or had today we don't have many newspapers left anymore they didn't have radio they didn't have TV but they they went by word of mouth and just like today when people see something impressive somewhere, they are, they're going to tell other people about it. If you go somewhere and you see something different there than what you have at your place, you're going to say, look what I saw over there. And you'll talk about it. And that's what was going on. The Queen of Sheba heard about how um, Solomon had built the temple, how he built his own palace. She heard about how Solomon was governing the land, his wisdom that he had in his early years as king, she heard all about that, but she wasn't satisfied just to hear about it. She wanted to see it for herself. And that's also something that is 
quite normal for people. When we hear of something exciting, we want to go and see it for ourselves. A few weeks ago, I warned about the Asbury so-called revival that was taking place in the United States and Kentucky, which was not a revival in the first place. It was deception, and many people fell for it. But uh, many people traveled from, from across the United States, from Canada, from other parts of the world. They traveled to Asbury to see what was going on there. And most of them were willing to accept that this was a work of God when it wasn't. It had nothing to do with God. It was, it was a work of the devil, and many people fell for it. But here in our text, uh, the Queen of Sheba, she wanted to know what was going on in Jerusalem. And so as she came there, she, uh, God met with her, or not God, Solomon met with her and showed her how God was blessing the land. And so it says in verse 1 of, of chapter 10, it says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, the word Lord there is all capitalized, that's Jehovah God, she came to prove him with hard questions. So she heard what God was doing in Israel. So the people that were traveling through Jerusalem and going to their various countries were being told that God was doing things in Jerusalem. And that's important. We've talked about that before. Christians need to be quick to acknowledge that it's God that is directing them. Not that, well, I just came up with this idea. No, if you're saved, you got saved through the blood of Jesus Christ your life has been changed, your thinking has been changed if you truly got saved, and it's because of God. God is the one that's changing you. And that's important to, to know that and important to tell others about that. We need to make God big in our lives and in the lives of other people. He is big. He's the creator of heaven and earth. We need to remind people of that fact. And that's what was happening in Jerusalem. So the Queen of Sheba, she came to Jerusalem and she came with, with uh, lots of camels, lots of spices, gold, precious stones. And uh, she <clears throat> tells us in verse 2 that she communed with Solomon of all that was in her heart. She wanted to know. She had questions. And that's important too, that people ask their questions. Our world is designed to take away the curiosity of man. Uh, children are being dumbed down. They're not supposed to ask real questions. They're supposed to think about dumb things, like maybe a boy is a girl and a girl is a boy, and maybe daddy's not really daddy, maybe he's a mummy. And that's what they're, they're being trained to think about, but they're not being trained to think according to what God is doing in their consciences. So a lot of children go through life uh, not asking the important questions that are, that are there. They have them, but they're being told not to ask them. The Queen of Sheba, she asked Solomon questions. She was a queen. She was a ruler in her own country. 
But she asked Solomon questions. She didn't know everything. And that's important to understand that too. We don't know everything. We need to ask questions. We need to ask questions from the right sources. And so she came to Solomon. And Solomon was willing to tell her these important things. He didn't give away any secrets. But he told her many things in regard to how God was blessing the nation, how God had blessed him, and so on. So in in verse uh, 9, the Queen of Sheba says, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. So the Queen of Sheba here understands that in Israel, things are different. She understands that Solomon was chosen by God to be the king and that God was blessing the kingdom because uh, he had put Solomon in that place. So it wasn't Solomon that was the most important person here. It was God who was the most important. So then in verse 10, she began to shower Solomon with gifts. And you find that today when a ruler of a country travels to another country, that he generally brings a gift from his country, and the country he's traveling to also gives him gifts. That's very common. And where did that come from? It came from the Bible. Most leaders today wouldn't know that, but that's where it comes from. God shows that here in this passage and throughout the Bible. That's how things were done. Recently in Canada, there was a German politician that came to Canada and uh, traveled to several cities in Canada. The prime minister denounced her and he scoffed at her and he even caused the leader of the opposition to denounce her because uh, he hasn't got a backbone of his own and uh, Uh, Yet she was welcomed in certain parts of the country because she exposed the vile nature of Mr. Trudeau. And that's why Mr. Trudeau hates her. And that's why he he was able to convince Mr. Polivier to denounce her as well. But when she was in Calgary, she was given a white hat. Now in Calgary, a white hat is a symbol of welcome. And uh, they're given, the white hat is a cowboy hat, and it's given to dignitaries that travel to that city, usually given out by a government official, to dignitaries that travel to that city for them to take home to their country. And white is supposed to be a symbol of purity, a symbol of peace. And uh, the person that gave her that hat is uh, the leader of a independent party that has just started up in Alberta. And uh, the news media was quite upset that he gave her that white hat because the prime minister has denounced her. But uh, the giving of gifts is something that is quite common and uh, something that was done here as well in the time of Solomon. And so in verse 14... It tells us of the wealth that came into 
the nation of Israel in a year. It tells us the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. The gold standard, we talked about that, I think. Gold is something that is a precious metal. It's something that Canada and the United States have gotten away from. We're, our economies are not based on the gold standard. I believe even the Philippines still bases their money on the gold standard. And uh, Mr. Marco uh, had a lot of gold. Now his son is trying to get it back. And Mr. Marco got that gold through corruption. And, uh, but gold was the standard and is the standard that is secure. Russia and other nations around Russia that are allied with Russia, they have gold as their standard. Canada and the United States don't have that. So Canada and the United States are very vulnerable because our value is determined by our land and things like that, but we have given away most of our natural resources, resources to China. China is buying up farmland in both Canada and the United States, so really Canada doesn't have anything to back up its currency, neither does the United States. It's just a fictional value that is placed on it, and if China decides to pull the rug out from under us, they could do that very easily. And so we see in verse 17 that there was so much gold in Israel that it says that Solomon made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went into one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. So even the defense in Israel, they had gold for their shields. So when the royal army, Solomon's hand-picked army, would go out, they would carry these shields of gold and that would be quite impressive as that gold would flash in the sunlight and so on. It would be quite impressive to see these soldiers marching with their golden shields. And then it tells us in verse 18 that the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. So ivory, again, is a precious uh, gem that... Uh, stone, I guess you'd call it, I'm not sure, comes from elephants and from walrus tusks and so on. Not sure where Solomon got his ivory from, but he made his throne out of ivory. Ivory is expensive. There have been many, uh, many elephants that have been slaughtered just for the ivory tusks that they have, and some countries are trying to protect the elephants from that because they're killing the animal just for the tusks and uh, leaving the animal to rot and, and countries are concerned about the, an, the elephant population. But ivory is a precious um, commodity and uh, Solomon had this, this uh, throne made of ivory and then overlaid it with gold. So he really, he could have made that thrown with any kind of wood, with any kind of scraps, really, because he overlaid it with gold. It needed to be strong enough to hold him, but he chose ivory and then covered it over with gold. So that was a step that he didn't need to go to. 
because, again, deity belongs to God, not to man. Solomon here uh, elevated himself quite high. And then it tells us in verse 19, the throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was roundabout, and there were stays on either side on the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the stays. And twelve lions stood there on the one side and on the other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. So anybody that would be approaching Solomon as he sat on his throne would see this impressive image of these lions, six steps, lions on either side, not real lions, but, but uh, images of lions depicting the strength of the kingdom. And then coming and seeing that, that throne made of gold. And it would have been quite an impressive scene. And it took many years before the Babylonians were able to break down that whole thing and destroy Solomon's palace and many other, the temple and many other things and uh, <clears throat> take it to Babylon. Verse 21, it says, And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. So we see the, the wealth here of the kingdom and of Solomon in that everything that he made for himself was of gold. Silver wasn't even important. Today, we still treasure silver. I think the 25th wedding anniversary is a silver anniversary. And so, usually at that time, um, people get presents that are of silver, either a silver platter or some people have cutlery that's made of silver. In uh, England, I think it was that... Uh, the cutlery that people used on a regular basis, at least the wealthy people, was of silver. Now, probably most of you have heard of colloidal silver. Colloidal silver is something that is used to fight bacteria. They use it in burn units in hospitals to help to heal the wounds from the burns. Now, wealthy people, because they eat with silver cutlery, every time they are using that cutlery, a little bit of that silver comes off that cutlery. Very little. You can use it for years and not really notice the difference. But you don't need a lot of silver in your body. It's very helpful, very good for you to have a little bit of silver in your body. And... Uh, so that's why when you look at history and you see that the wealthy people, when there were major diseases that went through a country, the wealthy people didn't get sick. Why didn't they? One of the reasons is because they had this silver that they were eating and it was protecting them, whereas the poor people, they would use tin forks and stuff and they're not clean, first of all. And uh, they didn't have that protection. That's why the poor people would get sick far sooner than the rich people. That's one of the reasons. So, 
we look at verse 22 and it says, And the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. So Solomon here made an alliance with a foreign king. Didn't need to do that. He did with the king of of Hiram. Uh, And every three years they came from wherever they were going. They came back loaded with gold silver, ivory, and apes. Now, we don't know what they did with the apes, uh, whether they used them in their work somehow, but uh, they came back with them and with peacocks. Now, peacocks are a very uh, nice-looking bird, and uh, when they open up their feathers, they have lots of colors, and they are a very impressive-looking bird. And so they brought them back And Solomon's kingdom was a a wealthy kingdom in his early days. Verse 24, it says, And all the earth sought to Solomon. So his fame was spread all over the place. Everybody wanted to know about Solomon. Today, the world leaders travel to Davos every year. And they travel there for the World Economic Forum. And Klaus Schwab, who was a nobody, but made himself a big name. And he is the man that the world looks to for direction. His latest scheme, at least one of his latest schemes, is a 15-minute cities. Maybe you've heard about that. In England, they are experimenting with this right now. And what that means is that people are being limited to traveling within a radius of 15, I think a 15 mile, 15 miles from where you live. That's as far as you can go. So if you travel outside of that range, and let's say you went to a grocery store that was outside of that range, you would not be allowed to buy anything in that store because you're outside your range. You're not supposed to be there. So that's one of Klaus Schwab's latest plans is to develop these 15-mile cities where you cannot go beyond that, that's your range. And if that's your range, of course, that's part of the plan in getting rid of fossil fuels. If that's your range, you really don't need to have cars. Um, You could walk that distance. You could ride a bicycle to that distance. Um, You could have an electric vehicle maybe, but they're so expensive that only the rich can have them. But you really don't need cars. And, of course, that's the design. Our prime minister wants to get rid of cars as well, except for himself. He wants to fly and drive wherever he wants to. But the rest of us are not supposed to be able to do that. So that's what the thinking is. That's what the idea is right now. So you'll hear more of that in the news, I'm sure, because that's one of their plans. They're working on that to limit people's ability to move around. Of course, if you can't move around and if the, if, he, if the governments control the Internet, then you're only going to hear what they want you to hear, and so they're going to keep people ignorant. 
even if someone in a different place knows something that is true, you won't be able to hear it because he can't get to you and neither can anybody else because they're not allowed to travel beyond that range that they're setting up. So it tells us here that in verse 25, again, not that people come empty-handed, it says, and they brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold and garments and armor and spices, horses and mules, a rate year by year. So Israel at this time, God made Israel big. He made Jerusalem big. He made it the center of everything going on. And so when people came there, because they wanted to have a meeting with Solomon, they would bring presents and they would buy time with Solomon. And that's how things are done amongst the wealthy. And if you want to talk to a wealthy individual, if you want to talk to a person with power, if you have money, you'll get in sooner than if you come just yourself. And especially if you come dressed in rags, you're not going to get very far. But if you come looking impressive, then they'll say, yeah, come on in. What do you got to say? Or what do you want? So man is still very much that way, outward appearance, and things are important, more important than truth. In verse 26, it says, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen, whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones, and cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. So one of the things that God warned the nation of Israel of in the book of Deuteronomy is that they were not to multiply to themselves horses. And here Solomon was multiplying to himself horses. He was trusting in these things. And of course, back in those times, it would be very impressive when you're out marching through the city and you have horses. And your horses have jewels on them. And they're all groomed nicely. And they're parading down the streets. And that's very impressive because a horse is a powerful animal. And so... This was another thing that Solomon had that he used to make himself look big in the eyes of the people. And in verse 28, it says there, And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. And the king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for an hundred and fifty. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria, did they bring them out by their means. So again, the horses were brought into Jerusalem and then they were sold to the kings of the Hittites here, it says. So later on, we know that the enemies of Israel would come with their horses and they would uh, overthrow parts of the nation of Israel because they had horses. 
And they got those horses from the time of King Solomon when they were trading in horses and chariots. And they were making money with that. That's how the kingdom was advanced through all these different trade mechanisms that they had going on. So there were some things that we see in the life of King Solomon that were good. There were some things that we see developing in the life of King Solomon that were not good. And we see how that today, some of those things are still being done. The giving of presents, the impressiveness that people put upon presents over wisdom. And uh, these kinds of things were happening then. They were being developed in the time of King Solomon, still going on today. And uh, as we move into chapter 11, God shows us more of the dangerous things that Solomon was involved in, starting with the many strange women that he had as wives. And so we'll get into that next time. We're out of time, so we'll stop there. But it's important for us to understand that Jerusalem will one day again be the center of everything in the world. Jesus Christ will be there. The temple will be there. It'll be the trade center of the world. And it'll be different than it was even in the time of King Solomon because righteousness will rule in that time. And for us today, it's important that righteousness rule in our hearts, that we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and serve Him, serve God with Jesus as the Lord of our lives and want to glorify him and not ourselves. So that's important. We'll stop with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again that we have thy word, thankful that we can study thy word, thankful for this opportunity to gather together and to broadcast into other countries. We pray that we would be a help and a blessing to others. Pray that thy will be accomplished in these last days, that we would be faithful to thee and that many would get saved and the saints would see the importance of obedience to thee, to want to glorify thee and to help others to know the truth as well. Prepare us for the preaching hour that thy will would be accomplished in this place, that we would glorify thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.